why are we doing this? Why are we doing this series of sermons about inviting our neighbors to know Jesus? Why this particular series? Well, a lot of ways to answer that question. I'll start with a combination of need and danger. Need. Um, for reasons that we'll talk a lot about in the coming year or years, Christianity is becoming less prominent in the cultural landscape of the Western world, including the United States, including our city here in Atlanta. And as Christianity becomes less prominent culturally, it means that people are going to have fewer opportunities to hear the truth about who Jesus is. Which means that many of us will be more familiar with caricatures of him and what it means to believe and trust him and follow and love him. We'll be more familiar with caricatures of that reality than the reality itself. And as a result, a lot of people are going to continue believing that Christianity is kind of medieval. Kind of, it never made the transition to the modern world, let alone the postmodern one. It's a bit backward, and and as many things about medieval culture were, it's morally oppressive. Or people will think about Christianity that you know it's it's nice if it works for you, but for most of it's just irrelevant. Whereas I learned in talking with some of our uh, high schoolers, part of our IDX student ministry a few months ago, they said one caricature they have to deal with in their context is people thinking Christianity is only for people who were born into it. If you were raised in a Christian home, then Christianity is what you ought to do. But it's kind of a closed club and nobody can get into it. Um, they have to be born into it. Or um, one caricature that Christianity is nothing more than a political weapon. That Christianity is nothing more than a piece of nationalistic propaganda. The danger is that as, as we meet that need, we, we sort of see this, the prevalence of caricatures of Christianity. That we lean into meeting that need for all the wrong reasons. Guilt is one. You know, good little Christians tell other people about Jesus, and you must not be a good Christian because you don't do it. So now, motivated by guilt, go out and change the world. Uh, fear is another. Well, you know, as Christianity loses influence or kind of need to win a culture war, if we don't get serious about telling our neighbors about Jesus, the whole of Western civilization is going to collapse. And so now, motivated by fear, I'm going to go out and change the world. Another is pride. There's a danger that we see a real need and we lean into it because of pride. The pride of saying, you know what? I, I am a card-carrying, busy person. I, I am able to say all the time, with truth, my plate is already too full. But 
I am an elite Christian and I can add one more activity called evangelism and telling my neighbors about Jesus to my already too full, too busy life because I am above the cut of the rest of you losers. I am elite super Christian who can do this. I got this. I'm going to go change the world because I'm too busy and yet I can still do it. You see the dangers, real need, but we get the why wrong. I want to invite us this morning to spend some time looking at the pattern of the life of the earliest church. The, The book of Acts follows the four gospels in the New Testament. It tells the story of Jesus' work after his ascension to heaven through his Holy Spirit in the Christian community. And we'll see there a model of inviting neighbors to know Jesus that captures the what, but more importantly, the why. I'm just going to read for us a couple of verses from Acts chapter 2. A description of the life of the early church. And day by day, attending the temple together, And breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Well, we'll start here. Uh, I'm supposed to say this is the word of the Lord. And we're all, thanks be to God. (laughs) Sorry. I am thankful for Scripture, by the way, just even when I forget that. I was so excited to get to this. Um, One of my favorite moments in all of moviedom, right? Vecini keeps saying, inconceivable. And finally, Inigo looks at him and says with this puzzled look on his face, you keep using that word. I do not think it means. What do you think it means? What does it mean when we talk about inviting our neighbors to know Jesus? Do we know what it means when we use the word evangelism? What do we mean by that? Talk about sharing our faith. What do we mean? Worth asking. Here's a summary I'd encourage us to embrace. When we talk about inviting our neighbors to know Jesus, we're talking about whole life communication of good news about Jesus. As the overflow of our identity with love as our goal. Every part of that's important. We want to unpack it. We'll start with whole life communication. Did you notice this sense in those two short verses that we read from the book of Acts that for the earliest Christians, knowing Jesus wasn't just part uh, of life. It wasn't just something they did with part of who they were or part of their time. Right? You really read this description, and it's a day-after-day thing. It's not a one hour on one day of the week. Or, you know, they went to 
Sunday morning worship service in the temple courts with other Christians, and then they maybe went to a small group, another, and that's two hours a week. And that was it. You get this sense that it's all of life, day by day, attending the temple together, public, large group gathering for worship, and breaking bread in their homes. They were thinking about Jesus when they were sitting around the meal table with one another, not, not just in the temple courts with hundreds or maybe even thousands by this time. Thousands of people have become followers of Jesus at this point in Acts. But thousands of people won't fit in a home around a table. So this is an all-of-life kind of thing. It's applying to the way they eat their food. They receive their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with other people who believed in Jesus. Because it was kind of a compartmentalized thing, and they just thought about Jesus when they were together with others. That's really not what the text says, is it? I mean, keep me honest here. It says praising God and having favor with all the people. That, that somehow what Jesus has done is starting to shape day-by-day living. It's starting to shape every relationship with other Christians, but also with all the people. It's starting to show up in large group public settings and in small private gatherings. It's starting to impact all of life. Um, and there are even indications in the book of Acts that every Christian participated in talking about Jesus. Now, I, I think it would be hard to, to go through all of life without ever talking about Jesus. So sometimes we, we think evangelism is something you do with your actions more than your words. We're trying to fight off a real danger. The real danger is that words alone are empty. If you don't live like someone who knows and loves Jesus, then all your fancy words about knowing and loving Jesus will land flat. Right? And that's the picture we're getting here in Acts. This is something that's starting to shape all of life. Love for Jesus is starting to show up in every department, including the, are we thankful for the food we eat department? Including the what do we do on our Sunday morning, the Lord's Day department. What, what do we do when everybody else is praising other gods and goddesses in our culture? We, it's starting to shape everything, including talking. Right? So verbal communication about Jesus is part of life. It's part of a whole life communication. You want to see that every Christian participated in this, not just the preachers, the teachers, the apostles. In Acts chapter 4, the whole church comes together to pray after their leaders have been imprisoned and released. And when they pray, uh, one of the things that they ask uh, is is that the Holy Spirit would, would enable them to continue to speak your word boldly. Acts chapter 4, verse 29. Grant to your servants, the whole church, everybody, the ability to continue speaking your word boldly. And then verse 31 says the Holy Spirit did it. (laughs) They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. It doesn't say just the preachers and the teachers and the specially called and trained evangelists or missionaries. It says all of them. 
continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So, yes, words alone are empty, but we have to use words to tell people about Jesus because words are part of life. Whole life communication includes verbal communication. Um, once was digging tons of dirt out of the backyard of a neighbor in St. Louis with students from a Greek class I was teaching in the summer. And um, we've been doing this for three or four days. It's the summer at St. Louis. It's pretty hot. The hot part of summer doesn't last as long in St. Louis, but it's every bit as hot as it here is here in Atlanta. And we're back there moving this dirt up. Single mom wanted to re-landscape for kids to have a better place to play, and we're just hauling dirt out. And at one point, she comes to uh, one of the workers digging dirt and says, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Well, there's one theory of sharing Jesus with our neighbors that says, if you're doing it right, you don't need to use any words. Just your actions will be enough. So, you know, that student could have stood there and said, I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to tell you why we're doing this. Because, um, you know, if we do this right, you'll know without me having to tell you. No. He did the right thing. He said, well, well, mainly we're doing this because we love you. And the reason we love you is because our lives have been changed by someone who loves us. It's Jesus. And we love you. We love him. So we're hauling dirt out of your backyard. <laughs> Was it wrong for that student to use those words? No. Whole life communication means, yeah, find out what the need is, meet the need. Use the words. It's whole life communication. Words alone are empty, but words are part of life. All right, next part of our definition. Whole life communication of good news about Jesus. Why do we use the phrase good news? It is the English translation of a Greek word, euangelion, which means good news. You um, means good. And an angelos is a messenger. So God's message bearers are called angels, angeloi. A euangelion is, is, is news that's worth hearing because it's so good. Um, and that's where we get our English word evangelism, right? It comes from that Greek word. It, it means sharing good news. It means telling people good news about Jesus. That word group, evangelism, and the related verb uh, to share the good news occurs 18 times in the book of Acts. Um, we're learning about a Christian community that just has, it has good news to tell if you want a summary of the Christian good news, here are three great resources. One by Randy Pope called The Answer. Another by Pastor Tim Keller called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And a friend of mine who will be preaching here in a couple of weeks, McKay Caston, has written a book called The Great Exchange. Um, three great resources, clear summaries of what this good news is. Let me share with you another it's only a couple sentences. This good news is a story of the true God who made the world. 
and his plan to share life and love with that world through his son, Jesus. See how easy that was? It's the story of the true God who made the world. And what did God want to do? He wanted to share life and love with the world he made. How is he going to do that? Through his son, Jesus. Here's the next part. Very important. There's the truth about what God has done through Jesus. Now very important to say anybody can become part of this story by saying yes to Jesus. Anybody, anywhere, anytime. What does it mean to say yes to Jesus? That's a good question. Let's talk about it. There's a story about a God who wants to share life and love with the world through his son Jesus. And anybody can be part of that story by saying yes to him. That's the good news. It's good news about Jesus. Um, a couple weeks ago, we are doing some leadership training classes right now on Sunday mornings. You nominated folks to become elders and deacons. And so about 20 of us are gathering on Sunday mornings. Um, and we were talking about this idea that, that this gospel, this good news, um, is uh, a message about life and love. That God wants to give life and love to the world he made. And are those the two words that you think people, especially teenagers in our culture, a couple of folks in the, in the group, are they, they work with our um, IDX students on Sunday nights in small groups. What do you think, what words would they use instead of life and love to summarize the essence of Christianity? And the phrase that came out was rules and duty. Remember I said earlier one of the dangers is that people are going to embrace caricatures of Christianity? That Jesus just came to give us rules so that we know how to do our duty. And he doesn't love you because you don't keep the rules well. Or he does love me because I'm good at keeping the rules. Or he would love you if you would get better at keeping the rules. Or it's okay if we change his rules so that we can be better at keeping them. (laughs) Because getting better at keeping the rules is the goal. So if you can't hit the goal, lower it. Um, All of those are symptoms of this sense that, hey, the essence of the news about Jesus is not good. But if you read the book of Acts, we, we are a people who have good news to tell. We have an amazing story to share with the world. It's a message of life and love. Who do you know who doesn't want life and love? Who do you know who wants death and hostility for themselves? They might want it for their enemies. Everybody wants life and love. We have a great story to tell. And so we're talking about Asking the Holy Spirit to make us better at using whole life communication of good news about Jesus among our friends, neighbors, the people we live beside, work beside, play beside all day, every day. But we need to learn to do this as the overflow of our identity. Sharing good news about Jesus with our neighbors is, is not a tacked-on activity that we add to the plate to prove that we are elite super-Christians. It's not just one more thing I want you to feel guilty about not doing. 
It's not what it is at all. It's not something we do to escape guilt or to prove elite status. It's meant to be the authentic overflow of who we are. We belong to Jesus. We love him deeply. And that begins to overflow from who we are. There's this beautiful description in Acts chapter 4 of um, these two fishermen who are arrested, Peter and John, and, and they're not very educated at all. And, and they had an opportunity to stand before the officials who arrested them. And, 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 the, and they were like, hey, stop talking about Jesus. It's causing trouble in our city. And, and they basically said, uh, we can't do that. He's just part of who we are. If we're going to keep being who we are now, It's going to come out. We're going to talk about him. And here's the description given in Acts 4. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. We don't know much about you, but we can tell you've been with Jesus. That's the overflow of who we are. In fact, in Acts chapter 11, um, people who don't know about Jesus and aren't following him are trying to find a name to give the, the new Jesus followers in their city. The city is in Syria. It's called Antioch. And the name they come up with is Christ people, Christians. They're the Christians, Christians. And the Christian community said, yeah, it works for us. You can call us that if you like. If that's the way you want to remember who we are, it's great. Because that's a one-word summary of who we are. We belong to Jesus Christ. He loves us. We love him. That's who we are. Evangelism, talking about Jesus, telling our neighbors about Jesus, isn't meant to be one more activity that you don't do and feel guilty about or you do and feel arrogant about. If this is working right, it's just the overflow of who we are because Jesus has loved us and we belong to him. We become part of this very simple but world-changing pattern. This is how evangelism works. This is how sharing our faith works. We spend time getting to know Jesus. That's part one. You've got no good news to share if you don't know him. Spend time getting to know Jesus. Then spend time getting to know people. And then talk with people about what's important to them and to you. You hear that pattern in, in Acts chapter 2? What are the believers doing as they gather in the temple courts day by day? What are they doing as they break bread in their homes. They're getting to know Jesus. Verse 47 says they were praising God. Praising him for what? For what he's done through Jesus. And then what happened next? They had favor with all the people. They were getting to know Jesus and they were getting to know people. And then they were talking to those people about what was important to them. Now in the city of Jerusalem, Jewish context, main thing that was important was how can a guy who died on a cross be the Messiah? you got to answer that for me. So that's where all the stories about Jesus in the early chapters of Acts begin. 
The Apostle Paul shows up in Athens, and the question they want to know is, how can you say this one God is the God of the whole world when there are thousands of gods and goddesses? So that's where Paul's talk about Jesus starts, in that city. And so I think a great place to start in talking with our neighbors is, hey, what's, what's important to you? Listen. Maybe they'll ask you what's important to you. And then you get to say, well, I'm digging dirt because Jesus loves me. If you've never asked anybody why the most important thing in their world is the most important thing in their world, then don't be surprised if they don't ask you that question in return. So part of what we've got to learn is this rhythm is driven by love. You heard me say earlier, there are a couple of false motivations, three actually, that could drive our communication about Jesus with our friends and neighbors. One would be this sense of guilt. Another would be fear. We've got a culture war to win. If we don't, everything's going to collapse. And then the third would be this pride, arrogant, I'm the elite super Christian who can add one more thing to my already full plate. And you hear now, we're talking about the Holy Spirit creating very different motivations in us. What is our identity? We were singing it earlier. All I have is Jesus. He is my life. Identity. Not an extra tacked on thing. This is just the overflow of how joyful I am to belong to Jesus. And it's motivated by love. When we talk about sharing our faith with our neighbors, we are not talking about uh, having a hidden agenda when you form friendships. I don't really like you, but you're my target. And I want to be able to tell you about Jesus one day. So I'm going to pretend to love you for a couple of hours, days, weeks, months, years maybe. And then the magic moment will come and I'm going to tell you about Jesus. And if you shut me down, relationship over. We're not talking about that. We're talking about love. We're not talking about attempts to colonize the world. To intimidate or manipulate or force other people to believe what we believe. There's some caricatures of evangelism. We're not talking about that. We're talking about genuine love for Jesus and what Acts says, love for all the people. Why? Here's why. You've all heard of TikTok. Even if you don't know how to spell it right, you've heard of it. Have you heard of the bold glamour filter on TikTok? So um, on the right are, are two young women showing us what they look like. And on the left is the kind of TikTok bold glamour filter applied. That... Um, it's kind of an artificial intelligence um, plastic surgery, 
right? So noses appear smaller, cheekbones appear higher. Everybody's got makeup on. Even if they're not wearing makeup, the, this filter applies it. Um, lips change shape. According to somebody's model of beauty. Reading an article this week about a, a health expert talking about the impact of this. Here, here's what she had to say. A lot of young people are feeling really alienated from themselves. Really struggling to just be in the world every day with other human beings without feeling like they have to perform and appear to be someone they're not. Her concern is that this kind of use of social media will only exacerbate this sense of there's a hostility between me and myself. I am alienated from myself. I don't like who I am. I don't like what I look like. I don't like my body. I don't like the way other people think about me. And, and I'm somehow pressured to perform to make you accept me. If I looked different, you would value me more. So I got to constantly pretend to be something or someone I'm not. What if you could be rescued from all of that? What if you walk through this world feeling that kind of pressure every moment? Feeling like your body is wrong and therefore you are wrong. Feeling like you've become a problem and a burden. What if someone could rescue you from carrying that around with you every moment of every day? What if you could be protected from that? By someone who would stand between you and all of that. Wouldn't it be loving for someone to come to you and say, we know someone who rescues people from death and hostility and brings them into a story of life and love. It would be a loving thing to say to our friends, because of Jesus, you don't have to perform to impress, to win his favor, win his attention. It would be a loving thing to say, there is someone who can rescue us. Now, we may not be used to hearing it this way, but but when Acts tells us that the early Christians were praising God, getting to know Jesus, and they were having favor with all the people, getting to know people. And then it says, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That word saved means rescued. It doesn't mean people were having some kind of religious or spiritual experience. It means people who are living in this world. The Lord Jesus is kind enough to every day use his people to rescue. To rescue us from a world that's full of hostility. So filled with hostility that we are at war within ourselves. That's not preacher language. Right? This is a woman who cares about the health of young women. She's saying they feel alienated from themselves. We need peace. Is there anyone who can make peace 
between us and God, between us and each other, between us and ourselves, we have a good story to tell. A Savior who loves people and he wants to make peace in this world. His is a story of life and love. A story where he puts himself between us and all the hostility. He absorbs it to the point that he experiences death. So that we can be rescued from all of that. That's evangelism. That's inviting our neighbors to know Jesus. It's loving Jesus enough to know how he heals all of our brokenness. And loving people enough to know where they need healing. Now hopefully you're wise enough to know that everything we're saying here applies to you. Even if you're not a young woman. Young men and old men. Young women and old women. Boys and girls. Have this same struggle feeling that we're at war with the universe, at war with ourselves, at war with other people, pressured to continually appear to be something we aren't. Do you love Jesus enough to see that he can heal all kinds of human brokenness? Do we love people enough to know where they are hurting and need healing? Because Jesus has loved us and rescued us. Natural overflow of our love for him. Is that we would want to use our whole lives to communicate good news about him. It's the overflow of our identity. And what's the goal? The goal is love. All of this with love as our goal. Love for our friends, love for our neighbors, love for Jesus. Why? That's how good his love is. He's made peace where there was alienation and hostility. He gives life where there's only death. I think he wants to reshape us so that we don't go back to those patterns of Mm, This is something I do motivated by guilt or fear or pride. Jesus, we love you. Love is our goal. Let's take a moment and pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for showing us Christ today. Thank you for showing us the ways that Jesus heals our brokenness. Would you send us out into the world to love our neighbors just by finding out where it is they need hope and healing, offering that encouragement when we can. And then, Holy Spirit, lead us to those opportunities to talk not just about encouragement, but about the good news of what Jesus has done to provide the ultimate healing, beginning now, perfected when he returns to all of our brokenness. 
Make us faithful, not because we're afraid, but because we have been loved so deeply by the Savior.